When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Woke up this morning into my car to start my day. First stop is my buyer, who six months ago walked away. When I arrive, he treats me like a commodity. Give me a stack on his inner connect, he wants price and delivery. And if we're over $20, he tells me this business we're gonna lose. It's got a singing that old don't know value. Looking okay? Yep. All right. Welcome, everybody, to the Value Clarity Podcast, where we talk about customer perceived value and getting everybody in your company aligned around that value and that vision. Today, we're departing a little bit from the business leader to a great leader in general. Today, I'm thrilled to have Chris Van Timmeren. Chris, welcome. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Chris is the coach of the national champion, Hope College Flying Dutchman hockey team. Um, and he, if you're listening to this on audio, he's got a big smile, uh, kind of proud of it. <laughs> I am um, very proud of it. And Hope College is um, the college that, you know, I went to for a couple of years uh, and uh, had met Chris. And so I kind of followed it. And suddenly I, I know somebody famous and uh, I knew Chris back when. The coaching a championship team, regardless of the level, you know, coaches hope is a D3 school, but um, there's actually some additional challenges when you're coaching D3, not uh, it doesn't reduce challenges. Certainly. So uh, tell us a little bit about what it's like and what some of the challenges are of coaching at the D3 level rather than D1. I would imagine there's some constraints you've got that D1 coaches and, and uh, professional coaches don't have. Certainly. Well, Hope College plays in the ACHA, which is um, a division of um, non-varsity teams that are mostly um, due to uh, Title IX funding. Um, so the challenges that we come across are um, number one, recruiting, and we can't offer scholarships. So it's a little bit, um, you know, when, when teams are offering scholarships or, you know, things that we just can't provide, um, we have to get the student athlete there that wants to, number one, get a great education because Hope is a very good school academically. Um, but also, you know, we've got to get, they got to want to come here and play hockey. And then they need to be competitive. This isn't the team that, you know, everybody makes the roster. Um, we have our tryouts uh, next week, Tuesday, and there are 34 guys trying out for 30 spots. So there are guys that are going to get cut, um, unfortunately. And that's, you know, something that every team has to deal with. Um, but it's a good challenge for us to have. A lot of schools don't have, aren't getting enough people even for tryouts. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a small school. We only have just over 3000 students in a small West Michigan town. Um, it's a great atmosphere to go to school as you know uh but you know there are certainly challenges to get them up here just to see the campus when we're not a division one school yeah um it's it's not particularly hard to get to but it's not easy either um 
And it is, it is a place you have to want to go to live. Um, I had a friend who called Holland and Grand Rapids. It's a great place to live, but you wouldn't want to visit. Now, that's not true in May, but um, yeah. it's, it's a destination place. It's a, it's a great place to spend four years. And so yeah. uh, as you're, do you, do you recruit? Yes. I mean, you've got you've, you've to recruit. And so where's your recruiting footprint mostly? Um, anywhere. Um, the great thing about technology these days is there's a, a network called Hockey TV that broadcasts almost every youth and junior hockey game that you want to see. So um, I don't really need to leave my house to recruit as much as I did. I still want that face time. I think that's very important that, you know, the student athlete I'm trying to go after, I, I want to see them in person and see what they're like and see how they react and see their mannerisms and see how confident they are. Um, you know, you can tell a lot by meeting somebody about, um, you know, are they meek? Are they timid? Are they a go-getter? And you can see all those things in person that you can't get from video. But my footprint is all over the country. We've had um, even some international students. We've had a player from the Czech Republic and from Sweden um, in the last five years that have played for us. So we've had players from all over the world that have, have come to play. And, and I don't know the number of states, but all over the place that have come to play. Colorado, uh, East Coast. Um, I don't think we've had anybody from, oh yeah, we did have somebody from California. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I have this outsider's view of recruiting as you've got to find out what's different about you, the experience of being coached by Chris Van Timmeren and Hope College Hockey. What's different and who's going to want that difference? What does that difference mean to an individual uh, youth hockey, young hockey player? Go ahead. And, and trying to discover the kids that you want that wants you. And, and it's, it sounds like, um, it sounds like a, a really subtle art. Am, am I misunderstanding or am I reading more into it? No, it is. And, and there are, you know, a lot of coaches recruiting um, for all different levels. And so you're competing against your peers, but then also those that are, you know, tiers above you as well for players. So you have to find um, what appeals to that student. And I tell everybody, whether they're the best player in our program or the one that I think might get cut, um, that they want to come to hope for the education first, because if they blow out their knee and they can't ever play hockey again, they better want to make sure that they're in the place that they feel uh, fits them. Um, hockey is a great part of it, but it has to be the whole experience. It can't be just going to the ice rink at seven o'clock every night. It has to be uh, the place that they want to get their education and what most likely is their career path going forward. You know, the guys that are playing for me aren't going to go play professional for the most part. They're going on to their everyday life and they want to make sure that they're getting uh, a degree. So I've had players I've recruited who have, they, they want to just be engineers and they've gotten full ride offers from NCAA division one schools, uh, but they don't want to be a business guy. And the school is a hundred percent business. So they don't want to go there to get a degree in business just to say they played NCAA division one. Um, the, the one guy that I'm talking about, he ended up at the very last second, uh, getting an offer from Air Force uh, Academy, NCAA Division One, and he went there and he was a, 
um, a top cadet uh, for almost all four years. He was a letter wearer at their NCAA program, Division One. Phenomenal, phenomenal individual. And I think he fits, fit best at Air Force Academy. He would have been one of the best players I'd ever had um, and an awesome individual character-wise. Um, but he didn't want to go to this place because they didn't offer his degree that he wanted. So for, for me, I, I want to talk to the student athlete. I want to know why they would want to come here or why, um, what they think fits here for them. Uh, but also I have to sell myself. I have to sell coaching or playing for me. And um, we've been fortunate here that our record generally speaks for itself. Um, we've won two national championships in the last three years. Um, we're generally one of the top teams in the country every year. We've been to the national tournament. I think in the 22 years I've been coaching here, we've been all but three years to the national tournament. So players want to come here because they know they're going to get the opportunity to compete against the best teams in the country and, you know, usually be a top five team in the country every year. Yeah. So one of the things you said was that, you know, this young man who went, ended up going to the Air Force Academy um, and you said that was the best fit for him. Mm -hmm. um, there are so many coaches, you know, I follow recruiting um, for a big division one school that I also went to uh, their business school. And uh, I mostly follow football recruiting, but there's some really skeevy, uh, cheap car salesman recruiting tactics happening in the coaching. And you said, this is the best for him. What is for you as a recruiter? Um, how does it play in to say, look, I want the best for you, even if that's not coming to hope? It doesn't do me any good to have a player come here and have him always wish he was somewhere else or wish he had done something else. That just, in the end, is a tougher person to coach and to have buy into the program. And I had coached his older brother, awesome family. Um, and I knew that getting a degree from Hope and Engineer would have been great for him too. But because of his leadership skills and going to a place like the Air Force Academy, I knew he was gonna thrive in what the environment there would give him. And um, plus I, I knew he was just probably a better hockey player than most of the guys that we have, and he can compete at the D1 level. Um, so, I mean, I watched him on TV and would text him, you know, after games, you know, great job. So proud of you for how, you know, what you've done over there. And, um, you know, it, it's, it hurts me to lose a player like that, knowing the difference maker he could have been and, you know, probably more national championships we could have won if he had come here. Uh, but I think the fit, for him was at a place like that. You know, that says something very selfless um, and very team oriented. So, you know, what are some of the greatest coaches that you've ever coached and, and what did you take from them that you want to try to incorporate in your coaching style? I think the first coach I had in high school, Ed Verkike was, uh, you know, an old school coach. Um, he, there were standards that you had to keep. And if you didn't, there were consequences for those standards. And that certainly drove me my first few years of um, kind of hard nose coaching and my way or the highway. But uh, since then times have changed and you have to evolve. And um, my favorite coach always was um, 
Red Berenson uh, at Michigan. And when we, when we lived there for a couple of years, that's how I got into hockey was watching the Michigan hockey team and watching him coach. And he had a little bit of both where he was a very kind of quiet mannered guy behind the bench and didn't say much, but um, I think that carried a lot of weight. Now I'm not a quiet coach. I tend to speak my mind, um, but I've learned that I have to change and evolve as the student athlete has changed and evolved. You know, when I played, you could do stuff or say stuff that you can't do now in order to motivate the player. And I have to be able to read each player and know um, I have to say this to this player to get him to push him, or I need to nurture this player. And they're all different. I can't have a broad stroke for all players. One of the best players I ever had, his name was Chris Cunning, and he was really good, but I knew I had to push him. You know, if he scored a goal, I'd have to say, yeah, that was a nice goal, but you know, you missed three passes, you know, coming to it. And I knew that that was going to motivate him to show me, I'll show you what can happen. And him and I had a great relationship. We used to do lunch once a week, especially towards this last two, three years here. But I knew the buttons that I had to push to get the most out of him and to make him the best teammate for the guys around him. And then there are others where I need to choose my words very delicately and I need to do 99% confidence boost and very little um, criticism or that player will be done for the day. I, yeah. I know that I will lose him quickly. Yeah. You know, we all see coaches, you know, those of us who watch sports, uh, those, we see the coach uh, during the game uh, doing what they do, but coaching during practice is different. I mean, and the practice is what prepares those players for that game situation. It's the, to be able to deal with the pressure, to slow the game down. So what is practice like uh, with Chris Van Timmeren? So I am a very detail-oriented guy. Um, I send out a practice plan to them during the COVID time. I would send them screenshots of it um, because we couldn't spend any time in the locker room. We had to basically get in in shifts, and I, I, there wasn't a board that I could put up my practice plan that they would watch. Uh, but typically the practice plan goes on the board so they can see each drill. So when I get out there, I don't have to waste time and say, here's how we're doing the drill. Here's what the purpose of that drill is. The practice sheet will say, you know, we're doing uh, this one-on-one -on -one drill. And it'll say the purpose of that drill is to work on uh, forwards executing, um, you know, evading the defender and the defender keeping the forward to the outside of the ice to protect the middle. Um, and then that's what I want to execute in the play. But if they don't aren't paying attention and the practice starts getting out of control and no one's doing the drill correctly, I usually get a little upset. Uh, you know, first, first time is a warning kind of, and then the second time is um, you take a seat on the bench third time, take, go to the shower. Um, I want things. We ice time is very expensive. I think we pay close to $300 an hour. So our ice bill is, you know, $50,000 for the year. And I don't want to waste $1 of that. And if we go through an hour and a half practice and we've wasted $450, um, that's not very efficient for me. So I want the practice to be fun. I want them to, um, so we have a, we have a sign, you know, at the 
Notre Dame has to play like a champion and everybody touches it when they go down the stairs, the football yeah. team. Ours says get better today. And every time we go to the ice and every time we get off, they have to touch that sign. And um, I want it to be a focus of one thing they're working on that practice to get better. And when they leave the ice, can they say, was that productive? Did I get better at something over the course of that practice, that week, that month, and that year? Have I gotten better? And that's job, our job as coaches is to make them better, but it's also their job to push themselves to get better. Yeah. Um, and if they haven't done that, then we've wasted time. So my practices, I try to be very detailed. We're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this. And then, um, you know, at the end, maybe try to do something fun to, um, you know, just kind of keep the, the mood light. Um, but somebody told me once, uh, it was a player who played at a very high level, um, said that actually it was a player's brother-in-law who played for the Boston Bruins. And he said that the practice time, they're completely exhausted. And then when they get in the games, you're only playing an average of 10 to 15 minutes for most NHL players. So yeah. you should be completely exhausted in practice. And then the games are just kind of a run through. Um, you get a lot more rest. Uh, so you got to take advantage of those practices. Practice hard so you can play easy. Yeah. Just, yeah. You, you um, know, one of the things you said was kind of like, uh, the, the, for us, I call it muscle memory. I, the things that we do in practice are to hone our skills for the game. Um, and, and we, I have certain keywords or buzzwords that I use that I want them to get that muscle memory so that when they get into the game, they don't have to think about it. It's just something that happens. Um, one of the things I like to say for shooting is 12 and one. So a goalie's pads are 11 inches tall if he's laying flat on the ice. You know, they're sticking up like this. Yeah. So I tell the players to shoot 12 inches off the ice and one inch in from the post. And that's a real hard area for any goalie to get. And if your muscle memory is 12 and one, we're going to win most of our games. Pretty, I mean, um, that reminds me of, of uh, I think I told you earlier about uh, a swim coach who just coaches the granular level stuff. It's not eye of the tiger, go out and get them, buddy. It's 12 and one, just keep it simple. Um, so every, every player is loves the highlight reel goal that hits the top of the bar and bar down right into the net. And those are highlight reels and they're great. And that's what every prep, I watch them. They come out every practice. They try to go for those top corners and, and bar down and it's great, you know, break the water bottle stuff. But that doesn't win games. And so we have to be able to be where the goalie will tell you, where's the toughest part to stop. You know, they're standing like this. The toughest part to stop is they got to get their hands down. You know, it's, it's a motion where they got to go up or down. If their hands are already up, it's tougher for them to go down. So that's where I try to tell them to shoot. And then simple things like um, one and oh is something that I put usually in my signature on every email that I send them is uh, I'll send them, you know, whatever message I want about practice or, the schedule or whatever it is. And then it's one and O coach. And what I, what we talk about with that is um, we want to go one and O every game. I don't care if we're, you know, 40 and O we can't put that as our goal to go undefeated. It has to be one and O for that particular game. If we play Friday, Saturday against the same opponent. We're only worried about Friday or we're worried about Saturday as soon as we're done with Friday. So it's the one game at a time 
mentality because if we start thinking about the 28, 38 games we play in a season, we forget about the minute small things and you have to do those building blocks to get to the last game and win it, you know, to game yeah. 38. Yeah, you win, you win 40 games. You don't win all 40 games in your first game. No. <laughs> nope. And you can lose a lot of games if you're worried about game 40 and not game one. Yeah. So that simple, um, you know, shortening up each game, each shift, each period is the only way that you get to the end of a game, to the end of the week, the month, in the season. So, you know, I'm seeing so many parallels between what you're talking about and business. Um, We, so many leaders uh, seem to believe that anything worth doing is worth overcomplicating. And as a matter of fact, I'm writing a a snarky chapter for a snarky business book titled anything worth doing is worth overcomplicating because human beings do that. We, we dive so deep into something um, that we make the simple stuff hard and you can't do that. You can't do that on the ice. No. And, and even in business, in, in if I have a meeting, um, you know, let's say it's a hockey meeting or a business meeting. If, if I take up too much time, you lose the attention of the people that you're talking to and, and the smaller points tend to go away. So I've learned that my meetings need to be, I'm, right now I'm in the process of doing all the PowerPoints that I do before the season starts, you know, the first meeting, the second meeting, just the, the rules and the, the stuff that are important, but I can't take up too much of their time. I used to do it in all in one hour and a half meeting and I don't, I lose half of them in the, in the whole battle and discussion stuff. Yeah. So the only way for me to do this is to break it down into, I think this year I'll have uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different PowerPoints that I'll be doing instead of, um, one or, or two, it just doesn't work for me. In my sales training practice, when I'm doing sales training with, with clients, we really pay a lot of attention to don't, don't give them more than they can absorb, figure out what pace the team can absorb a change or a lesson, Yep. get good at that. And then we'll move on. But we're going to, we're definitely going to pick the one that's going to get us the most mileage in business to do first. Yeah. And we're going to build on that one, but um, we aren't going to, we are not going to try to boil the ocean. And a lot of leaders forget that. Yes. And I, and then some of it's ego for leaders. You know, I want to listen to myself talk or I want to, um, you know, overanalyze stuff or make things about me instead of about them. You know, yeah. I've been fortunate enough to win a lot of hockey games, but 99% of it is just about the players. You kind of give them a direction and you let their skill set take over. Like in business, this guy's great at this. Let him do that task. Don't overanalyze it. Um, and in the end, just kind of direct them in the, in the way that they need to go and push them if you need to. But if you start making things more complicated or more about you than what the big picture of it is, you never end up on the right path. I don't know enough about hockey, but when I watch hockey, it's very clear that there cannot be a, a an actual set choreographed play. There's no such thing, right? You can't you can't make a hockey process. So there are 
few times you can on a power play where you're trying to execute because you have the puck most of the time. You can execute a play, but you can't say, okay, we're going to make this pass, this pass, and this pass because it may not be open. So it's it, you have to improvise constantly. You can have some plays on a face-off that you try to do, but if you lose that draw, well, that's right out the window. You know, yeah. if you win it, then maybe your first part of the play is executed, but the second part might not be open. So it's all improv. You know, the, the world, the business world is turning into that. You know, when I was young, uh, it used to be that uh, business seemed to be like a football, right? This is the entire play. This is what all 11 people are going to do yeah. to all 11 people across the line from them. And this yeah. is how we're choreographing it. And, and maybe here's an option for the quarterback to, you know, run or yeah. pass option. Um, now I think the world is becoming more like hockey. We used to say that the only constant in business is change. And then yep. 2020 said, here, hold my beer. <laughs> yes. And we are not ever going to go back to that 2018, 2019. The only constant is change. Yeah. We're going to have bigger and more constant changes. And now I think a leader is going to have to be like a hockey coach, not a football coach. We have... Uh, systems or ideas that we want to start things with or a defensive system that we want to run. But in those PowerPoints that I'm doing, almost everyone says this option, this option, this option. And then at the end of every slide, it says read and react because all of those things are going to be changing and you have to change with them on the fly. If area one, two, three doesn't work, you have to go with whatever you see and you want to put the puzzles in, in place where you want the option of this guy is going to this space to make something happen. Uh, but yeah, it's all take what comes to you and, and deal with that. And usually the teams or the businesses that react, read and react the best are the ones that succeed. But I used to work for a company that the founder of the company wrote a memo to everybody. He said in this memo to everybody, we have processes, but it's everybody's responsibility in the company to question the process to look at the situation, to see if the process should be applied or if you need to go off script. Yes. And it's not, this isn't your authorization to do that. It's your standing order that you must do that. Every, before you invoke the process, read and react. Yep. Um, and, and I think it's important to get feedback. You know, as a coach, we have three individual meetings that I meet with every player. The beginning of the season is here's kind of, I, I see your role. Here's what I, I want you to try to accomplish. Here's some goals I want you to push for. And then at Christmas, we look at how, what's, is that role changed? Are, have you, you achieving these goals? Do we need to readjust them? And at the end of the year, we do the same. You know, how did we, how did your goals finish out? How did your position, um, your, your job finish out? And then the last thing I say in every one of those meetings is, what can I do better as a coach? for you because that's what's made me probably um, get better as a coach is the analysis from the players. And those used to be sometimes some hard things to hear, you know, things I wasn't doing well to adapt to each individual player. And they've gotten much easier where, you know, you still have criticism, but I, I feel like I've reacted to some of those. And, you know, just same as in the business world, if you have if you're getting feedback, if your clients or your employees feel like it's they're comfortable enough to give you feedback, then in the end, everybody succeeds yeah, in that. I, that can't be a negative. Yeah, you know, you've you've created an, an environment 
to get feedback. And there's a lot of leaders that don't do that. We, lo- we all know. Uh, yeah. What is some of the most surprising feedback that you've gotten? Uh, the, the biggest learning that you've gotten from somebody when you ask them, what can I do better as your coach? And somebody gave you some feedback that um, kind of knocked you back a little bit or made you a better coach. What are some of those? I think, you know, some of it is the most criticism I get is that um, you yell too much. And, and I, and I've known that for years, it's just part of my personality and I need to come at them in a better way. Sometimes I come at them from a fan's perspective, you know, I want to win and I come at them as a, you know, like if I'm watching a, you know, a football game, I'm yelling at the, you know, the players about that. And, and I really needed to learn that I'm not a fan here. I want to win, but I'm their coach and learning how to, channel that for me and in either frustration or certainly in joy on the opposite side of that, you know, when things are going good, um, was the, is the constant criticism for me. And one thing I know I need to work the best at is, is, is being composed in situations that are, um, high intensity. Um, but thankfully that criticism is less and less. And what I usually hear from the freshman one year, from what I hear to the senior is you've made leaps and bounds changes in how you were my freshman year than how you were my senior year. And I still hear that from freshmen every year, but at least I'm getting better at that. Um, I'm trying to think, uh, there was one, a senior said something this year to me and, um, I took it and I understood what he was saying. Um, And it was, I can't really divulge what it was, but then this summer I heard from a friend of his about what he was doing, maybe away from the ice. Um, And I knew that I was correct in my criticism of him and him of me was not maybe as accurate as possible. Um, But I understood. It was a reflection of his his insecurity more than probably. uh, Yes. Yeah. Um, I think it had to do with um, uh, he was in the penalty box uh, three times in one game. And I said to him, um, you know, maybe you should just get a sleeping bag and a pillow and sleep there overnight until the game tomorrow. And it was kind of tongue in cheek and people laughed and he didn't think that that was maybe something that was appropriate, but three games and a penalty for me in the penalty box for me in one game is, is a lot. Um, But I understand that, from that incident, I need to understand that everybody doesn't react the same way. And a joke for me and for half the bench might not be something that lightens the mood for him or helps him in his progression of the next 20 minutes. Yeah, fair enough. Well, Chris, what a great, uh, what a great discussion. Uh, anything else that you want to get out that you, that uh, um, lessons, lessons of coaching that you think business people need to, to hear? Ah, lessons. I think just being um, humble throughout the whole process is is something that's really difficult uh, for a lot of people to to understand that the the as much as you don't want to relinquish control of some things, um, it's for the betterment of the team or the business to um, have other people help in the thought process. You know, you're not you are not the reason why all of this works. It's the entire body. It's the entire company. It's the entire team that makes the end result. And 
um, having the input from employees, from coaches, from um, players, from administration usually drives how this goes. And then the other thing is the value of recruiting, whether it's a hockey player or whether it's employee to get the right person that fits in your company um, or your team. Um, and if they're, and, and then encourage them in ways that makes everybody go drive in one direction once they do get in. Yeah. Um, we're in a, you know, we're, we're in an era where there's lots of news around um, more vacancies and, and people can't find the right employees, but you just can't get desperate. You still have to hold your standards and you have to know who you're looking for and get those people on the team because the cost of a bad hire, uh, the cost it is, it's not just with you, it's not just taking up one of those precious roster spots. You can have a locker room cancer. You can, I mean, there's lots of bad stuff yep. that happens. Yep. That can be the difference. We've had locker rooms that are, are so much talent, but we have problems in the locker room that drive um, everybody down there. Not everybody is, you know, rowing the boat in one direction for, for the whole team. You know, we, one of the slogans we like to say is, is play like a senior, you know, play like it's your last year, your last game, your last kick of the can at this. Um, and, and I don't know what that translates to in the business world. Um, you know, but that for us drives us, you know, there's a finality to something, the people that are done here that, that everybody wants to push in one direction with each other more than if it's just individuals. Yeah. Um, I, I think what I hear with that play like a senior is uh, play like this matters, like you're trying to leave a legacy. Yeah. Not you're, you're trying to leave a legacy for the team, not for yourself. Yes. Your first Absolutely. first three years, maybe you're playing for a legacy for yourself. As a senior, yeah. you kind of get that it's not about you. Nope. Last time we're in this water. Yep. Very cool. Well, Chris, thank you very much. And um, I really appreciate you making the time for us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. And thanks for uh, joining us on this episode of the Value Clarity Podcast, where we remind you that business and sports is all about what's going on between the other guy's ears, which means that sales and marketing is a lot more like brain surgery than you thought. Same with sports. Take care and have a high value day. Well, it ain't easy because value's in your buyer's brain. If you're selling on only your features, you're going to drive both of you insane. And if you ignore your customers' outcomes, you're bound to be paying your dues because you'll be singing those old don't know value blue. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.